Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Releasing Trauma, a survivor's podcast. And now here's your host, Tracy Osborne. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. All right. We're talking about grief again today, but we're looking at it a little bit differently than we normally do. And today we're going to be talking about grief from the man's point of view. And typically when we talk about grief on the show, we're actually really talking about from the woman's point of view. And, and, you know, I think that's just typical because um, men aren't supposed to cry. Right. So, um, yeah, this is this is going to be great because men are supposed to cry. They are allowed to cry and it's okay for men to grieve. So with me today is Mark Shutter, and he is going to talk to us about his journey and how he learned that, you know, from losing his wife at a young age, it's okay to grieve, it's okay to cry, and it's okay to move on. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. And, you know, like I said before, this is, you know, this is very important that we get this out and, and we talk about it because, you know, even though we've progressed as a society um, emotionally in a lot of ways, we still have that overall um, men are supposed to be tough and right. only the sensitive guys cry and, and, you know, the tough guys don't cry and, um, and they don't grieve and, and that exactly. kind of thing. And, and that's just a bunch of crap, really. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. that is so, crap. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your story. Now you lost your wife to breast cancer. Correct. Correct. Um, I lost my, my my late wife in 1993 to breast cancer. She was 27 and I was 28 at the time. Um, we'd been married just over five years. So just in the, the beginning of our life together, if you will, um, yeah. no kids, just the two of us. Um, basically, for the five and a half years we were married, I want to say three and a half years as I think back, because it's been almost 30 years now, three and a half years, we were fighting cancer of some type. It went into a little bit. She, she had, she was diagnosed um, originally um, had an ultra radical mastectomy of, of one breast plus, um, you know, all the lymph nodes under her arm and stuff. And that's kind of what they did back then. They just kind of immediately rushed you into surgery, um, went through chemotherapy, went into remission you know, if you will, everything was good. Everything was negative at that point. All the, the blood work, all the tissue surrounding the tumor was, was negative. Um, so we went on, um, had a great summer in 1992, if you will, when I think back, um, a really, really good summer. And then, um, lo and behold, um, she had a pain in her other breast, her remaining breast in the fall of 92, went to the doctor, immediately referred her because of her history to a specialist, started doing a bunch of tests. Um, they found a golf ball sized lump in her lung um, and just progressed from there. Um, just very rapidly. The doctor told us when we asked because um, Luca, that was my, my late wife's name. She asked the doctor, she's very upfront. Um, 
faced this head on. She asked, she goes, what's the prognosis? And the doctor said, um, he goes, I'm, I'm an optimist. He goes, I've seen miracles happen, but honestly, five years, this is a very aggressive tumor and you're young. Um, so we, we walked out, you know, kind of hopeful, like, okay, we've got five years to fight this. We got five years to, to do what we need to do, even though we're a couple of kids, not sure what we're going to do in the medical establishment. And she lasted five and a half months. She died the following April. So it was just a really quick descent, especially the last three months. Um, they discovered a, another lump at the, the base of her um, neck. They discovered a lump in her hip. Um, when, as they kept doing, you know, more, she would she'd feel more pain if they do, you know, more, more tests. And they found more, the cancer was spreading. So, uh, yeah, it went very, very quickly. So yeah. that was 1993, you know, way back before social media, before you could come home from work and jump on Facebook and find communities and find resources. Yep. Um, that's the one thing that we could talk about that I've noticed. I mean, the, the evils and the ills of social media, but there is a, a resource out there in a community where you can connect with others. Didn't have that back in 93, you know, so it was it was a little different world. And I'm watching that kind of from an outsider's perspective at this point going, wow, my experience was very different. And some of the people I've connected with who have recently went through through grief and are, are going through it right now. Yeah, I, I know um, when I lost my husband in um, 2019, one of the oh, first sorry. things I did was, thank you, one of the first things I did was jump on Facebook and find um, support groups. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, they I mean, they got me through. If it wasn't for, um, you know, just the widow support group. And then right. I also found a widow's dark humor group. And, you know, anybody who's gone through trauma, so many of us have oh. resorted to dark humor to get to. us through. And those are the those are the things that really got me yep. through those first probably six months. Right. Exactly. Of, of um, you know, losing him and, and trying to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, now what? What? Yeah. Now what? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, after after you lost her, um, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't really any, any support group and you, um, you just, you know, kind of decided that you were going to show the world that you're a tough guy and right. And power uh, through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had family and friends around me, you know, don't get me that, get, you know, don't get that wrong. There were, there was support there, but it was, um, and I, 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 I there, there's so much stuff that happened as you know, after the death, the death is only the beginning. It's like all of a sudden it's now it's like, you know, and I'm waiting through the, with, with support and help and guidance from people, but it's like, I got to make funeral wings. I got to talk to a pastor. I got to go to the, the, the funeral home, pick out a casket. I got to decide what she's going to wear for the viewing. I got to decide what she's going to wear for the funeral. Is it going to be an open casket or a closed casket? What are we going to say at the funeral? What do you want? Songs do you want playing? All these decisions that I look back now that I was like, I'm having to make all these decisions, but at the same time, I wouldn't let anybody else make them. It was that weird dichotomy because it gave me something to focus on. It gave me a chance to, to basically go, these things need to be done. So I shut down um, in a lot of ways, kind of became numb. And that's the shock, I think, it originally um, going through it. And then, you know, after the funeral, after everybody kind of went back, it was sort of the same thing. It's like, well, now I got to take care of the house. I'm the only one here. The lawn needs mowed. The, the dog and the cats need fed and taken care of. And it's like, and I got to go back to work. And so you just kind of, from a guy's perspective, you kind of get on with it. It's like, you can't just, you, you tell yourself you can't wallow in your house and, and just ball up in a corner. And you can't, but you also don't allow yourself to even grieve a lot of times. And that was where I was at. Um, a, a large percentage of the time, unless there were moments where it overwhelmed me. 
but I made sure those moments were when I was alone <laughs> as if I right. could, as much as I could, you know? So, yeah. Um, I, I think it's a little bit easier for women to be allowed to wallow in our grief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, I still had kids to take care of. I had, um, my disabled stepmom that was living with me at the time that mm-hmm. was her full-time caregiver, you know, so I, you know, I did have responsibilities, um, but I also worked from home and I'm my own boss. Right. So I was allowed to, you know, take the time that I needed. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I slept so much those first three months. Um, yeah. And that's interesting. Cause I it, didn't sleep. Uh, I, I, yeah. Um, my, my bed was my solace. Mm-hmm. It, it was my comfort zone. Um, and you know, the only time, and, and I don't know, maybe it was because it was our bed, you know, so yeah. I felt closer and connected to him. I, right. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it was definitely, that was, that was my solace. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, I you know, I just kind of let the depression take over and slept, but, um, you know, like you said, those first few days or the first week after we lose somebody, mm-hmm. we're, we're walking through this mind numbing fog And we're expected to make these incredibly important decisions about, you know, their, their finality. And, and it's, it's like, how, how did we even do that? Um, You know, when I lost my dad, they had already planned it out, um, you know, which was great. They, they knew it was coming, you know, Mm -hmm. he knew he had about six or seven months. They had everything ready, planned out, you know, all of that. Um. But, you know, Mark was, it was sudden. It was just one day he was there and the next day he was not. And um, I I had no warning. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it does make it tough. I I mean, we never even really talked about it. I, I I didn't know what he wanted. I I had an inkling of what he wanted, you know, because we're we're very similar, but. Yeah, we were a lot the same, but we didn't talk about what else, you know, if you die, you know. I mean, it's like, it was more about focused on we're going to get through this. We're going to get through today, you know, with the chemotherapy and with the pain and stuff, it was, it was, it was an effort just to get through the each day. Sometimes. Oh, I'm sure. So I'm sure. Yeah. And you know, and who wants to focus on death when you're, you're fighting for survival? Exactly. You know, exactly. it's like, and, and some of it's, I think, yeah, some of it's naive, I think, and being innocent, you know, Very. two young kids, it's like, we don't. We had a whole life ahead of us. It's like yeah. no kids yet. It's like this is not. It's kind of denial in a way because you can't believe this is really happening. Sort of thing. She's not going to die, you know. She's twenty seven. Right. It's like you know. He said five years. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, a long time. And you know, we, we've got time. Happen in five years. So exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, so it it wasn't until what what was it like 30 years later or you know yeah. that you wrote you started to write your book and and yeah. that's when the grief really kind of resurfaced yeah i i like i said i i shut it down i i buried it and i'm not saying there weren't times of of very emotional oh sure you know turmoil but for the most part i shut it down didn't talk about it um things would come up at work you know about a death in somebody's family or something i just i didn't go there i didn't share my experience People, I worked with people for years who had no idea that I had lost my first wife to cancer. Um, got remarried. Um, my wife, my current wife, and I actually, um, wonderful woman, we have a daughter now who's 17. Um, when she was about 10, so we're talking about seven years ago, she went to her mother and said, 
mom was dad married once before and, you know a 10 year old innocence she had overheard conversations you know ears are everywhere that us talking about it because my wife you know she knew the story um and we we were always going to tell our daughter but it's like we didn't know when like well i guess now god says now's the time so we told her um that prompted it opened a can of worms if you will and prompted in me a lot of emotional feelings like oh my gosh now my daughter knows that i was married once before I started feeling guilty about having a child with my current wife and not my late wife and all those feelings. And my wife, God bless her, looked at me and goes, you need to see somebody and talk to somebody. I'm like, I can't talk to anybody else. She goes, we'll find somebody to talk to. Well, we we had a friend at church, uh, a man who was a counselor, and um, I got connected up with him, you know, kicking and screaming, basically, at the end of the beginning to go see him. Um, but over the course of the next three, four years, we started unpacking this onion, if you will. And that's what he always called it. He goes, there's layers mm-hmm. to this. And you just have to walk through each one, one at a time. You can't fix it all. And he, he, he basically said, he goes, I think we're dealing with a lot of unresolved grief, which made perfect sense, you know, because I didn't deal with it. Um, and as, as, as I went through therapy and counseling with him, there were moments where he would come up and say, wow, you should write, you should write a book about this. He goes, I talked to, to, to older gentlemen, people who've been through the war, who've been in the military, who've experienced horrific things, and they're still dealing with it in their 70s and 80s because they've never dealt with it. Mm-hmm. He goes, there are guys out there. He goes, I have, I have, you know, there are guys that need to hear your story that they're not alone. So that kind of prompted us, like, oh, maybe I should write a book. My wife was really supportive. And so just started diving in basically the last three years. Um shared with a couple people kind of offline that I didn't even know other authors who had written books, people that I connected through professionally. And they're like, they, they would tilt their head when I kind of mentioned my story and go, yeah, I'm writing a book about like, wow. Yeah. You should write a book about that. That's, that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, and just started going back to old journals, which were, you know, trying to piece together the story, if you will, because I'll be honest with you, I have a lot of blank spots in my memory probably because I did shut it down. And so it's like, what really happened? There's a reconstructing the whole timeline and some of the things that happened. And I'm sure some of the stuff, you know, in my book, there's a caveat that this is the best of my recollection, but it's been almost 30 years. It's like memories change and fade. And, but I did my best to be true to the story, um, our story and, and, and the hope that I have now and the life after that life can be good again, because it is good again. Um, the book was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also very therapeutic um, and just, you know, a huge part of my therapy. Um, but I struggled um, six months before it was published. I was like, I'm done. I don't want to do this. I basically threw up my hands. I'm not putting this out there and not putting this out there for all my family and friends to see. But, you know, I went through with it um, and the, the book is out there. Um, I've gotten some really good feedback on it. So hopefully it is a blessing to others. And that's one thing I tell people, they say, well, what's the book about? Well, it's about my story dealing with grief. But it's, it's kind of everybody's story in a, in a way, because we're all going to deal with grief. It's going to be different for everybody. Yours is very different than Absolutely. your experience, very different than mine. But we're all going to deal with this. We can deny it all we want and put our heads in the sand. But unfortunately, we're all going to die. And we're going to have somebody die on us if that's just the reality. So what do you do with that? You know, do you just deny it and ignore it and move on? And I, you know. I want to be happy. I want to, I want my, my late wife, Luca wants me to be happy. I have no doubt about that. She doesn't want me wallowing in misery for, I was 28 when she died. Does she want me to be ha- unhappy for the rest of my life? No, 
Does she want me to miss her? Maybe, you know, you know, she wants to of know. She, she knows, she knows that I love her. So let's move on and let's, you know, it did take me a long time to get there. Don't get me wrong. And that was very hard. It's been a very hard journey and I'm still healing. You know, not a day goes by that I don't think about her, um, but I have a great life now. And that's, and that's my main message is like, there is life after whatever the trauma is, but you have to choose it because life's going to happen whether you want it to or not. Tomorrow's going to come. The sun's going to come up. Are you going to choose to have life? Or are you going to choose to just wallow in that? And it's not easy. It's not easy at all. You know? No, absolutely not. It's not. <clears throat> Excuse no. me. And, um, and yeah, what, you know, one of the things that I say all the time is there is life after trauma and you're not alone. That's, those right. are my catchphrases. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I love what you said. Are you going to choose it? You know, you can choose yeah. life or you can choose to, allow your trauma to overcome you, you know, or overtake you. And, um, you know, and and there's going to be days and there's going to be times where it's just too much and it it will overtake you. And and that's perfectly okay. Right. Um, I mean, you know, look at you 30 years later, you still have your moments. I'm three, Uh what, almost three years in. And, you know, I still have, absolutely. I still have moments where I get super sad or I start crying or, you know, I'll, I'll have a moment and, and, you know, my fiance works from home too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if I have a moment and I, I start bawling, I'll just get up and go into the other room where he's at and he'll just take one look at me and stand up and just wrap me in his arms and let me cry it out. And he knows that, you know, I just need, you know, a couple of minutes. Let me, let me sob for a few minutes and then I'll be okay. And I'll just, you know, yeah. be on my merry little well, exactly. way, you know, and that's, and, that- and, and that's all, And that's, yeah, that's all it takes. And, um, it sounds simple, but finding somebody that does that for you, that's the tricky part. That is hard. That's a a blessing. That is a blessing. You and I are both blessed in that way. Very Um, much so. Very much so. Because, um, I, you know, I see other widows out there and widowers who, um, they struggle. They, the new person doesn't want to hear about the the late spouse. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want pictures. They don't want memories. It's like they, they feel like they're fighting a ghost and, and that's not the case at all. I mean, that person will never leave us ever. Right. Um, and you know, the, the, the right person for us after we lose somebody is going to accept that and they're going to embrace that. And they're going to want to know about that person because they, they love us and they want to know, you know, about the person that, that we love so deeply too. So, and that made us part of who we are today. Exactly. I mean, who I am today is based on that experience I went through a lot. It's based on a lot of other experiences too, but you cannot discount that. Yeah. You know, I'm a very different person when I go to hospitals nowadays. Yeah. (laughs) And I was back then. (laughs) I'm sure. So, you know, what is some advice that you have for the men out there who um, are, you know, they're going through, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever kind of grief it is, loss of a parent, loss of a a spouse, loss of a, you know, whatever, or, you know, um, what would you do differently if you could do it again? What would I do differently? And well, the advice and what I do differently may be very two different questions, but I don't like that. Um, <laughs> let's let's start with the advice and then we'll ask what you did. The advice I, I go here. It's like this is your journey, if you will. This is no one else's, it's no one else's path. Are there people that can walk with you and, and support you? Absolutely, but it is your path. Um and 
one of the things that I tell people a lot is, you know, because they're like, I don't know how I can go on. I don't know how, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what, what, what my life's going to be like. It's like, stop. Let's get through the next minute. I break it down. And I did this for myself sometimes. Let's break it down to this next minute. We can get through this next 30 seconds. Let's just sit here. Let's listen to the, the wind. Let's listen, if we're outside, let's listen to the wind in the trees. Let's look at the sun, feel the sun on you. The next 30 seconds, calm. You know, and, and it may take it may take a little while to get to be able to do that for 30 seconds, but it's like, okay, now a minute. And you start tacking those on, and that does not fix anything. But all of a sudden you've gotten through a day and then another week. And that's what, you know, they say time, you know, time heals all wounds. It doesn't, but time helps us get a perspective, if you will. You know, and I think the pain kind of lessens a little bit in a lot of cases or can lessen, but sometimes it's just getting through. That's my biggest advice is like, let's just get through the next 30 seconds. Let's just yeah. breathe. And I'm right here with you. Um, one of the things that um, before I go on to um, what would I do differently, I would do, uh, this, this kind of tags on to do a lot of things differently because I shut a lot of people out. I, sh- I kept people at arm's length. I kept my family at arm's length. I kept my friends at arm's length. So I didn't want to get hurt again. Um, even people who were trying to help me. It was, I, I think back now, and a lot of it was superficial because it's like, I'm not letting you get that close, um, especially emotionally. I'm not going to let you get that close emotionally. Um, one of the things that um, my faith and Lucas' faith and my wife's faith now, very important to us, very integral part of, of who we are. And that was kind of going back. It's like, we have faith that God's going to heal her, you know? And if he doesn't, we didn't talk about this. There's a far better place, you know, there's a better, there's a heaven. There's, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be healed up there anyway. Um, but I go to Job 2.13 in the Bible. And this is before, you know, Job's had everything taken away twice. God's allowed it. Now he's sitting there in the throes of his grief and his three friends come and they see him. And Job 2.13 says, um, they saw him, and I'm paraphrasing, saw him from a great distance. Um, They came and sat down on the ground beside him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking because they saw that his pain was very great. We as men want to fix things for others and for ourselves. So what can I do to fix this? How can we fix it? Let's go out for a drink. Let's go do this. Sometimes we just need to go and sit on the ground, get down to their level and not say anything. And that's what I would do differently. I would allow myself that space as well as allow others that space, especially now when I, when I find myself in situations like, because there are no words that can fix it. There are no things that can fix it. So I look at that, 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 that a small scripture, and then it goes into the next 30 chapters of Job and his friends arguing back and forth about why all this calamity befell him, you know, before God comes on the scene and explain, kind of tells his side of the story. It was like that one little script that he sat on the ground for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking. That's an eternity in our lives now, in our fast-paced life now. Seven days and seven nights. We can't. I can't shut up for thirty seconds. Back to my original comment, you know. So it's like, it's like. So I think that's my advice, both to myself, and I try to do that to this day. It's like, give yourself, breathe. And I struggle with it. It is a struggle for me. Um, and if you need to cry in those thirty seconds, cry. It's okay. Um, but that's kind of like that's what I would say. It's like get through the next thirty seconds, and then give yourself some grace, you know? And that's the one thing that I've had to come to realize and kind of back to men don't cry. It's like, I suffered a huge loss. This was the woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, wanted to have children with, wanted to grow old with. And she died through nobody's fault. You know, there was no hit and run accident. There was no drunk driver. There was no 
she died of this hideous disease called cancer, which is invisible a lot of the times. And that hurt. I watched her die. I watched her fade and I watched her die. I stood there by her bedside when she died. Why wouldn't that hurt? I, but it took me a, long, a lot of years to even acknowledge that that hurt, that it's okay that that hurt. And then by, by, by you know, the next step, it's okay to cry about that. It's okay to be hurt by that. That's not a failing. It's not a weakness, especially for a guy. It's like, you know, we, we, get, we get our leg broke. That hurts. We, we, we admit it hurts. You know, we get hurt playing sports or whatever. But if something hurts our heart, we don't want to admit that. Why the F not, I guess? Why the hell not? Yeah. It hurt. What is That doesn't make me any weak. I grow stronger. My leg grows back stronger. Or my muscles get stronger after I've hurt myself. It's like, we can come back stronger. And that's the whole point of, you know, kind of where I'm at. It's like, you know, cowboys do cry. Men do cry. We don't always do it in front of people. And that's okay. I'm not advocating for that. But it's like, we're told to, to buck it up. We're told to get up, you know, brush it off, move forward. And that's all well and good. And there are moments in life when you have to do that. Yep. Absolutely. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I've had to do it in my own life. But there's also a time it's like, we can come back stronger by allowing ourselves to feel these things and then move forward. And that's, that's my experience, you know, and, and that what I'm, what I'm struggling with, because it's so easy to just write off from things. It's so easy to just go, I'm not going to deal with that. Um, it's easier in the moment. It's not easier in the long term. Absolutely. Cause it, it doesn't go away. Right. It does it, not go it, away. It festers. <laughs> Yes, it it festers. It's like that splinter you ignore. It just kind of yeah. sits there and festers until it comes to the surface. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on and you know, being vulnerable, sharing your story with us and, and talking with us today. This has been wonderful to hear this from a man's perspective. So thank You're you. Very welcome. Thank you. Uh, listeners, I definitely urge you to go grab a copy of Mark's book, Cowboys Are Not Supposed to Cry. I will have all the links in the show notes. As always, if you go to releasingtraumapodcast.com and pull up Mark's episode, I will have his contact information, the link to his book there for you. So, um, Mark, thank you again for coming on the show. And listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you in the next show. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a show. Be sure to check us out on our new socials on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.